four ingredients that Peter had kept kind of bringing back, which was to repent and believe, to be baptized and to receive the Holy Spirit. And he talked about this extraordinary spread of the gospel of grace that, you know, really quickly 3,000 people had been saved. And the two questions that we're, we're kind of holding as we look at, at different parts of the book of Acts, which uh, here this is sort of the plan. Um, so Pete last week kicked off looking, we're in this sort of formation phase, the first uh, seven chapters of Acts. And as it starts to kind of expand from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth, it's looking at the this, this spread of the gospel of grace. The two questions that we were, we were looking at is, what is Jesus doing in this situation? And what is Jesus teaching through these events? So I guess we hold those questions as we're looking at, um, at our scripture this morning. So today we are looking at, uh, it's quite a big section, I guess it's from the end of Acts 2, from verse 42, to the end of chapter 4. So we don't have time to read it all together and to talk about every part of it, but at the beginning and the end of the section, it focuses on the fellowship of all believers, that they were doing life together, that these believers were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking bread and to prayer, that they had everything in common. People sold their property and their resources to make sure that there was no one um, in need amongst them, that they met every day in the temple, that they ate meals in each other's homes, um, they were praising God. And that the Lord added to their day, added to their number daily those who were saved. So that's sort of at the beginning and at the end of this passage that we're looking at. So it's it's really a beautiful thing how the Holy Spirit filling and you know bringing these people with such a unity and such a, you know you can imagine like for people to be that brought into something that they've somebody that they've discovered is to be able to kind of feel like you would give absolutely everything you've got to 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 you know make to give towards that you know that they've found this treasure that's worth giving everything for and that there's such a unity amongst them is a, a beautiful thing that still even today we get to experience that same holy spirit unifies us as a church family here and with the wider church that we we get to still come together to devote ourselves to teaching and to being together and to breaking bread together and that we get to actually praise God together. It's an incredible thing that still today we get to do that. Um, so I thought what we'd do is we'll have a, a read of uh, the main kind of part that's a story that Acts 3 includes where Peter um, and John heal a lame man. Um, I always, that word lame is a little bit, I <laughs> never know if it's um, okay, but anyway. Um, and then he, you know, so there's this, we're going to look at, there's this miracle, incredible miracle, where this crippled man becomes um, able to walk. And then Peter preaches to those that are just in wonder and awe of, of, what's, of what's happened. And suddenly 3,000 people become 5,000 people. And um, the story goes on in chapter 4, which we won't look at in detail, where Peter and John are actually put in jail because of the kerfuffle that they're causing. Um, and then they testify to, you know, they're, they're witnessing to what they've seen and they end up being released. Um, they go back and join with the church and tell them everything that's happened. And then there's this beautiful prayer where the church together are praying for boldness to continue to preach the gospel. So let's have a look at, ah, there's our two questions to hold in your mind. So let's have a read through together. 
from Acts 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Isn't that beautiful? Like he goes with them, he, become, he joins them as a, a worshiper praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him at the, as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if it's by our own power or godliness that we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. It's so beautiful, isn't it? You know, it's instantly they're like, this is not us, this is Jesus, you know. <laughs> then they're knowing that there's nothing about, you know, what they're doing that they that has made this happen. And Peter goes on and he says, you know, I know it's out of ignorance that you've done what you've done. I know that you, you know, what you did to Jesus. And, and so he gives them, again, these four ingredients of repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, that he will send the Messiah that's been appointed for you. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through the holy prophets. And so this is um, in Acts, and you know, in this early church, this is the first post-Jesus miracle that we see. And physical healing appears quite frequently through Acts. About 14 times um, there are stories of, you know, it, probably there were many more stories, but that's, there actually it pops up quite a lot in the stories of Acts. And I don't know about you, but even as Christians, I think sometimes it, it, we're not always sure what to make of the miracles that happen or where there's these miraculous healings. Um, other than to be able to say that God's really, really powerful. But in this first miracle that we see that the church ever performed here gives us insight um, as to how we can look at all miracles. Um, and uh, an, an incredible um, teacher and preacher and pastor, Tim Keller, um, he kind of says, you know, if, if you can and understand this one, you can understand all miracles. So no pressure, but this morning I thought we would look at, um, he, he kind of offers this grid to understand this miracle. So I thought 
um, I found that really helpful in terms of understanding it. So um, I think it's got, you know, through that grid, there might be something um, helpful for us this morning. So this, I realise, looks like a swear word. <laughs> when I put these arrows, I was like, whoops. It sort of looks like I'm trying to bleep out a swear word, but it's not. It's arrows that, um, because what, what he says is that this miracle points in four different directions. It points upwards, it points inward, uh, forwards, it points inwards, and it points downward. And so we're going to look at, at those this morning. Um, so firstly, um, this miracle and miracles of healing, they point upward. They are an accreditation of Jesus. They signpost to Jesus. You know, Peter straight away said to everybody, it's in the name of Jesus that this man could walk, and it's through faith in him that he was made strong. And so um, everything is signposting that it's Jesus' power. This, the spirit that, these, that you, you see here in us is Jesus' spirit. It's like an authentication of, you know, we that this is Jesus' message, it's Jesus' power that is going on here, that it points to Jesus, so it points upwards. Um, they're in the wrong order there, but that, that miracles, like this miracle points forward, and it points forward to future restoration. Um, if you get our weekly e-news letter, you'll see um, Lloyd included a story about we're not home yet, and that actually, you know, this this beautiful hope that we have of it, it, of all things being restored in Jesus. It, we that these miracles they point us to that time, and and Jews would have recognised that the healing of this man in this story was the fulfilment of Isaiah 35, which um, says, "Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped." Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. And in verse 21 of Acts 3, you know, Peter in his sermon is saying, this healing is a sign of the coming restoration, when Jesus will, you know, like as God has been promising all along, that there is this Messiah, the one that's coming, to pur- that's purchased the healing for the whole world. You know, and Isaiah was explaining that right back then, and describing what's going to happen in the world when God comes back to restore everything. And so Peter here is drawing on that same connection. What this miracle means, you know, when that actually there will, we're pointing forward to the time where, where everything will be restored. So in, in a way, it's kind of like, well, if it was simply about a demonstration of power to say, you know, God is real, like miracles could be anything. It could be that we could fly in the sky really high or there'd be random kind of things that we could do that if it was simply about just showing that there was power or that we've got the truth. But it doesn't just point upwards, it also points forward because the you know miracles that we see, they always are about alleviating human suffering or trouble of some kind. Because it's pointing forward to that time, you know, God didn't create a world that has suffering and death and, and sickness, but, you know, those things kind of exploded into existence. Um, but God is, is no happier with any of that than we are, and so these kind of things show us that he will actually deal with all those things someday. And that when, you know, his kingdom coming in these ways, these glimpses that we get of that future restoration of 
the natural order being restored to how God wanted it to be. And with that kind of, that gives us hope, you know, that, that word that Hadim also heard this morning, you know, we, when you have hope like that, then you can face suffering or you can face those troubles that you have because you know that we're on the winning side in a sense that we, we know there will be a time when all things will be restored. I think uh, I had a quote here. When Jesus expels demons and heals the sick, he's driving out of creation the powers of destruction and is healing and restoring created beings who are hurt and sick. The Lordship of God, to which the healings witness, restores creation to health. Jesus' healings are not supernatural miracles in a natural world. They're the only truly natural thing in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. And that's, it's so beautiful because that's what we see in these miracles is, is actually the natural thing that was intended all along being restored. So these, these miracles, they point us forward towards that time and they give us hope. They also point us inward to our soul's need for salvation. The man is asking for money um, and Peter says, well, we don't, have that I don't have silver or gold but I'll give you what I have I'll, I'll give you what I've got in my hand which is that actually um, the name of Jesus I can offer you Jesus and even in terms of you know this it's kind of like what what that man is looking for is too superficial that Jesus has something that's so much more than just the physical healing which itself is an amazing thing like he could have given him money or he could have um he, he did heal him physically and, and he loves to do that. But at the same time, these miracles, they point us even deeper than that. And so in this story, you know, he, he turned from being someone who sat at the gate um, begging for many, many years of his life to someone who was then a worshipper that went all the way into the temple. That He kind of got more than he bargained for in that way. And so miracles, they, they point us to the salvation that we need and that we can have now, that we might not have, we might not be blind in terms of physically, but spiritually, our blind eyes need to be opened. Our souls that can be paralyzed or lame need to be enlightened. And that actually suffering, well, it, it sucks, it's horrible, but actually, there's things that are worse than that, which is to not have a relationship with God, to not experience His grace and forgiveness. So, in a, in a way, it's. Um, Suffering isn't the primary problem, but sin is. And so we, we have this opportunity and this need to be reconciled to God, to have our hearts filled with his love, to have that certainty of the future that he offers us. So while we kind of, we kind of muddle about with wanting money or a car park or um, we have our economic needs or our earthly things and our um, emotional needs and our physical needs and we kind of think well if I just have that then I'll be happy and Jesus is just like oh you know yeah that's cool that you need those things and you bring those to me but look deeper than that like let me tell you what I what you really need and a lot of the time we're not even aware of that we go we just bring our our needs to him in a really human way and he he actually meets us where he knows that we really need and that's not something we actually have to go digging for you know part of me is like oh am I meant to you know maybe it's I shouldn't be wanting those things maybe I'm meant to like kind of dig deeper and find you know some something that I'm really needing but 
gosh, he's just got such a beautiful way of, of seeing us, you know, of being, like we would come to him, like I say. like um, For me recently, I, I'd been, I'm in a bit of a period of transition and I was feeling like a tornado was forming, like kind of emotionally or like trying to, a lot of anxiety, trying to figure out like, oh, I need a place to live and I need to change my job and I need to kind of fix all these different things. And it was feeling like a tornado that was just getting bigger and bigger. Um, and so I guess I was getting a little bit frustrated and asking God, you know, like, well, can you give me somewhere to live? Like, can you help me? Like, tell me what kind of job I should have. Um, but I had the most, um, a kind of an unexpected kindness or an unexpected mercy that he actually, it's like he pierced right through the middle of the things that I was asking for, the things that I was aware of, and actually showed me what was happening in my heart, um, which, I don't know, it's always hard to explain these things because it sounds really cheesy, but it was like he showed me the real issue here is that you're trying to be your own saviour, like you're trying to do everything yourself, trying to make sure that you don't need to rely on even me as the one who, you know, you've got the order the wrong way around, um, and in a sense, it was kind of almost like being converted again. It felt like it was like this, um, an, a, an encounter again with him to realize, gosh, I, I need you and I'm meant to need you. There's nothing <laughs> nothing bad about that. It's meant to be this way around. That. So it points us kind of inwards to these things where he sees what we really need and he, in his mercy, brings those to the surface and, and rushes there to that place to, to give us exactly that. So unless God is the most important thing to us, unless we're sure of the future and sure of his love, then all of our suffering will be intolerable. But it's not that we like it, even if we, you know, but but if we lose someone or we lose jobs or we lose our possessions or something like those things, if our identity is in those, then it's it, that it is intolerable. But when we, you know, he will deal with the suffering or the needs that we have, but actually sin is the thing that destroys our relationship with God that makes us really self-centered that you know that that kind of stuff is deadly and so he'll deal he will provide and he will heal and he does look we we have these stories of incredible miracles of physical healing and things but he at the same time these miracles point us inside to what we really need and lastly Miracles point us downward, and this is probably like the least favorite one, I think, um, because miracles always make the miracle worker really vulnerable. Um, in this case, this one gets them thrown into prison. Um, their lives were threatened, and they weren't killed this time, um, but the miracle made them more vulnerable. And you know, in, in fiction, like in superheroes, they're usually like invincible. They they end up more powerful, not more vulnerable or weak. Um, and yet with Jesus, like when, even in the greatest miracle of God becoming one of us, becoming with us, you know, becoming a human, made Jesus killable. Like there's a such a, a vulnerability and a weakness that, that comes with... Um, the way of the kingdom, I guess. You know, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he couldn't take him out of the grave without putting himself in there. When the woman touched Jesus, the power left him. And so even in miracles, we see this kind of substitution. 
his her weakness onto him and his strength onto her. But his power only comes into our lives if we can become weak, if we repent, if we, you know, we, we have to go downwards. We have to admit that we depend on him. In a sense, we have to give up that control, which is actually really hard. <laughs> and it, to step out and to even to pray for someone to be healed, like we make ourselves vulnerable in these things. To to allow ourselves to be open to the Holy Spirit requires that we are vulnerable and, and God works through our weakness and that's the way it works and that is flipping hard. So it's, <laughs> you know, it's, um, yet this is, this is something that Jesus is teaching us through this miracle and through the way that, you know, he, he showed us that actually that's something that we, we have to be willing to do. We follow him in that way. But man, it's, um, it's yeah, it's not that appealing. <laughs> as a, it, but, it, but because we have that hope in him and because it's actually not our power or our spirit, you know, it, we we can trust and we can have that vulnerability knowing that actually we're in the best hands and it's, yeah, we will not, you know, like, like these people, these stories are incredible of being thrown into prison and, and threatened, but then you know, saying you should never speak of Jesus again and look at this, you know, you're causing all this chaos and people are really following you and it's growing out of control. And they, they say, well, who should we listen to, you or God? We're not, you know, we're, we're simply saying what we've seen. That's all we're doing. And we will continue to do that. And they're trusting God would protect them. Um, so, yeah, these these ways that pointing us upward to Jesus, pointing us forward to the time when all things will be restored, pointing us inward, pointing us down. This um, story offers us these kind of this grid to understand this particular miracle, but um, as Tim Keller suggests, it also helps us to understand other miracles as well. So I guess this morning um, we've we've been holding some. Um, invitations or some kind of senses that we that came from an evening where we gathered to pray together as a church recently and and you know the 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 passage that we're looking at like I said it starts with their them fellowshipping together um, their unity together they're giving what they have in their hand not just to each other like to make sure that no one is in need but actually to people that they come across who are in need they've got something to give and they're giving away what they've discovered the the treasure that they've found they're offering to other people and some of the um the areas that we had sensed together as a church to to see what god might want to do with us was around um mission and outreach that how could we be a church that is really blessing those in our community, in our city, those that are that don't yet know Jesus. Um, around the next generation, how can we pass on to children in our church and to families and to the next generation like this incredible treasure that we've found? How can we pass that on? And then around our own spiritual growth, that kind of part that points inwards of how we can... Um, continue to be made into the image of Christ and um, and to find what we need in him and to grow spiritually. In these areas, they there's something, there's these little gems in these stories that we're going through that really um, 
it's not like it's pointing us to a, a task to do, but it's it's kind of a, an amazing kind of posture, I think, of of even if we simply ask the question like, what's in our hand? What what do we have? That could we be people that would pray for boldness to preach the gospel? It's a scary prayer to pray. <laughs> um, to yeah, but even when Peter preaches these sermons, that's the Holy Spirit filling and speaking through him. It's not like he prepared an amazing talk beforehand that he thought up. You know, it's it's trusting. But it, but in that same sense, um, this morning as we are looking at the acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in this time and in this place, um, trusting that Jesus is actively reigning and, and working and present here with us. I was asking him throughout the week and, and again last night, like, you know, I can sense like these invitations or more like what, what I've shared this morning, some thoughts. But I was saying to him, I still just, so what? Like, what's the part that is for us this morning? And feeling like, just I'm not that clear about that. And then last night, I, the, I, the clearest thing I kind of heard him say was that, well, actually, I don't want you to bring that. I want, when the part of what happens when we come together here on a Sunday is that he is with all of us and we gather together and actually he wants to speak different things to each of us and we he gives us gifts that we bring together to sense what he's inviting us this morning to do what what where he's inviting us to follow him or to trust him um, what he might want to do in terms of healings for people either physical healing or where there's um, where we sort of need to maybe even repent and to receive his um, salvation again this morning and so that sense of what he's doing requires, like for me, I felt like, well, then it's not that I'm lazy and or like a cop out and can't think of a way to end a talk, but it's actually more challenging because it's like when we come together, it's not a show or a, a you know, a, a lecture or something. It's like we are here worshiping a living God. That that same Spirit that you know the the Holy Spirit is here with us and speaking to us in beautiful ways already this morning. And so we, there's that downward kind of weakness or vulnerability of saying like, there's only so much we prepare, but at the same time we simply open ourselves to listen to him, to wh- what, is, what is he up to this morning with us? We, what does he want to do for us as individuals or for, for us together? So that is my thought for us this morning, that we could just take some time to be able to listen to what he's saying and what he's inviting. Let me pray.